0: Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 Podcast. It's our final edition of January, which is a really, really interesting month these days in college football, if you hadn't noticed. We started out this month kind of picking up the pieces from what we experienced down in Atlanta, what we witnessed in the Peach Bowl, We wondered what kind of roster maneuvers would come, if there might be any more staff changes. We ended up dealing with another coordinator change. Uh, We ended up seeing plenty of transfer portal action, maybe not as much outgoing action from the 2023 roster as we anticipated, but certainly some splashier pickups for Penn State, the likes of Nolan Rucci, Julian Fleming, A.J. Harris, Jalen Kimbers, guys that we have covered here on the podcast plenty. And along the way here, the last couple of weekends, we've seen Penn State, again, ramp up the action on the recruiting trail with a couple junior days. They have a third consecutive Saturday filled with junior day plans coming up to begin February. We'll address that a little bit later here in the show and and more completely later on in the week. But to bring us up to speed on where Penn State is coming out of another busy recruiting weekend, we're going to be joined by Tyler Calvaruso in just a moment. And after him, we'll start to work our way through some winter depth chart storylines. This is not a complete roster yet. The transfer portal could still provide more talent for Penn State into 2024. Remember, there's another open window that comes after spring practices where you'll see guys take a plunge into that portal from across America. We also could see guys leave the program as things move forward after spring practice and additionally you've got the next wave of freshmen still to come to campus in may and june and we have seen those guys despite uh, the later enrollments than some of the early guys who come in january make an impact burn red shirts in recent years so a lot to look ahead to but based on what we have now in front of us we're going to go through some depth chart storylines myself, Daniel Gallon, But as I said, we begin with Tyler Calvaruso, And Tyler, as usual, you crushed it with the recruiting coverage this past weekend. Brian Doan, who was on the scene in Florida covering an event and giving us a bunch of there. He was also keeping his finger on the pulse of Penn State's later junior day. So as usual, big thanks to both of you for serving up the goods at lines 247com uh, all the way through Tuesday afternoon and going back to Saturday. But we got a name, a group of names we're going to work with here. We never get to all of them. Our VIP subscribers can catch all the content at lines 247com But a familiar one to begin with, Tyler and Michael Carroll, the in-state offensive lineman and Nittany Lions legacy who's really seen his recruitment on the rise here in his junior year. What are we working with in this recruitment now that he's completed yet another trip to Happy Valley?
1: It was another good visit for Carroll in the sense that, you know, he's able to get back to campus and just continue building that relationship with the Penn State coach, and specifically Phil Trotwin, who has played a huge role in Penn State's pursuit of Carroll. And, you know, I think – of interesting part of this visit for carol was it was you know it was a real family feeling you know they had his younger brother on campus with him who's a 2020 wide receiver with him at central bucks east so you know it was really a family affair for carol over the weekend i think it was kind of a different visit than some of the other ones that he has enjoyed in the past i mean going back to the summer you know it was a camp experience for him that led to an offer and then he gets back to campus for the game visiting the season opener against West Virginia. So, you know, he gets to take in that atmosphere. So each of Carroll's visits to campus have been, they've kind of been a little bit different, right? You know, it's been a different kind of experience. I'd say this one was a more in-depth and personal visit. I think it worked in Penn State's favor because Carroll really, Penn State has become a place where he feels like he is at home, but you know this is a recruitment that's going to continue to go on. There are a lot of intriguing suitors for Michael Carroll and his recruitment. You know, Michigan is one of them. Michigan probably honestly helped itself naming Sharon Moore its head coach when it comes to Carroll because those two were pretty close when Moore was the offensive coordinator and O-line coach, who was playing a pretty big role in his recruitment. And now that Marone or Moore is the point guy, you know that helps Michigan. So I think the Wolverines are a real player. For Mike Carroll, Uh, Ohio State is kicking the tires from what I've heard. No offer from the Buckeyes yet, but, you know, that's a little bit of a wild card. Florida recently offered Carroll, and Gainesville is a place that he wants to make it for a visit. South Carolina got Carroll on campus before Penn State did, and that visit seemed to go pretty well. So I'd say the Gamecocks have built up enough momentum there to be a long-term player with Carroll. I think Penn State has continued to hold its own in Carroll's recruitment, I think they're definitely one of the programs that are close to the top of his list, if not at the top right now. But there's still a lot of things that he wants to sort through as his process continues to play out. You know, could he pop before official visit season? I think if it feels right and the place feels right for Michael Carroll, he could. But right now, I'd anticipate him to go through that official visit schedule. Penn State, you know. Kind of goes without saying, given its placement on his list, that assuming he does make it to official visit season, then the blinds will get Carroll back on campus. And it's definitely possible that he makes it back to campus for a spring practice visit as well. You know, we, we're so zoned in on these junior day visits. Spring practice visits are already in the works as well, getting some of those locked in. Carroll's a candidate to return for that. But I think overall, it's a productive weekend for Penn State with Michael Carroll. I, I think things are heading in the right direction between those sides.
0: I always look at the blue-white game, which is a little yes. bit earlier this year. It's in the teens in April. Usually it's in the 20s, I feel like. But but by then, what does the, the class look like? You know, the first time I covered this team, my first ever uh, trip to campus was the 2017 blue-white game. So I was seeing the formation of that 2018 recruiting class. Uh, It was actually the day before Micah Parsons uh, decommitted from Penn State, but he was there on campus, and a lot of those guys were there. And you start to get a scope about the foundation of a class. And and since that moment, annually, you always kind of have your eyes on what does that next recruiting class, the guys who are finishing off their junior year, starting to work toward their senior season, what does that class look like when spring ball wraps up? Because you've had ample opportunities with some of the regional players. And Carroll, along with Joshua Williams in the state of Pennsylvania, the two guards that we've discussed here in state, those are two that are going to be keeping an eye on where do they stand. Are, are, if they're at the blue-white game, are they there as visitors or are they there as members of the committed 2025 Penn State recruiting class? And then that's always, to me, a bit of an interesting timeline uh, in, in every cycle. And it gets a little bit more complicated, compelling now with the unlimited official visits. But I think you also get in a spot, Tyler, where a guy like Carol, who's been to campus a bunch of times, He's more ready ready to use an official visit at Penn State because he doesn't feel like he's burning one that he could otherwise, you know, get on an airplane to go to a campus at, which we've seen in the past with some guys. So uh, we'll keep tabs on him. Uh, to the east, another offensive lineman uh, that we're watching, another interior prospect Malachi Goodman, a uh, big frame here. We're talking another six foot five player. I think he's 10, 15 pounds heavier than Michael Carroll. He's well over 300 pounds right now at Paramus Catholic High School. He's a player that we discussed uh, coming into this junior day on the last episode of the podcast. What are we discussing coming out of it? You
1: know, kind of the same deal as Carroll. I think Penn State, it was productive weekend with its pursuit of Malachi Goodman, it's a little bit earlier on in the relationship. You know, Carol has been on Penn state's radar for an extended period of time, really since he was like an eighth grade freshman mm-hmm. in high school. Goodman popped on a little bit later, you know, he didn't receive his offer until the fall. He got offered in October. A lot making it to campus for a visit in November when Penn state hosted Michigan. You know, that's obviously a plus when you're able to get a guy that you really like because he is hot on Phil wins sports, specifically at tackle. When you get a guy, you really like the campus that quickly after the offer, you know, that's always a plus. And, Penn State was able to get him back for this Junior Day visit, which all the feedback has indicated that it went well. But this is going to be another situation with the top offensive line target. It's going to be an ongoing spree of visits. There are still a bunch of places that Malachi Goodman wants to check out. You know, Ohio State just recently offered, and I think the Buckeyes are going to be able to get him on campus for a visit during the spring. Georgia has come up in conversation you know, as a place that Goodman would want to check out at some point during the spring. You got to remember Paramus Catholic has sent offensive linemen to Georgia as well. You know, the late Devin Willock was a bulldog coming out of Paramus Catholic. So, you know, granted a new staff at Paramus Catholic now, but there are pre-existing relationships there with head coach Greg Russo, who was the OC while Willock was at Paramus Catholic. So, you know, there there's a comfort recruiting there, and I'd anticipate that he makes it to Athens for a visit during the spring. I just feel like Penn State – Early on, initially, as this relationship continues to come together. That's probably put itself in – I don't want to put Pence at the top of Goodman's list because, you know, it seems like he's still sorting through everything. But I feel like Pence has probably acquitted itself, arguably the best, and Nebraska has done a pretty good job with Goodman based on the feedback we've received. But I think the Denny Line is doing pretty good work here with Goodman, and those problems continue to prioritize him as the cycle progresses. So – We'll see if he comes back for the spring, but he's definitely an official visit candidate at this point for sure. And, you know, what you mentioned earlier about the official visit, it's definitely a bigger deal now. You know, guys don't have to worry about, oh, well, I need to take these five official visits. You know, maybe I won't check out a place that I previously wouldn't because it's been closer to home and I've been there a bunch. You know, now they could take that visit to an official – they could take an official visit like that to a school they've already been to because they don't have to worry about limits anymore. So I think that'll loom large with a guy like – Goodman, who still wants to get out and see a bunch of different schools. But Penn State's doing a pretty good job here early on.
0: Connecticut offensive tackle Owen Alicine committed last weekend after that first junior day. No commitments coming out of the second junior day to this point, uh, but but we're seeing a lot of of foundational work being put in by Phil Troutwine, Frank Leonard, as they piece together the offensive line target board and try to work their way toward eventual commitments, especially on the interior with some of these guys we've been discussing. Let's go out to the perimeter of the offense right now. Wide receiver, always a hot topic these days when talking Penn State. And there was a receiver out of Texas named Taz Williams uh, that Made a, they made a strong impression on a, based on an article up at lions247.com from our friend Mike Roach within the 24-7 Sports Network who covers Texas prospects. But another Williams, another wide receiver named Darian, Darian Williams out of Syracuse, was also on campus. Christian Brothers Academy standout, a guy who has started to build up his Power 5 resume from an offer sheet standpoint. Um, he got his offer midway through his junior season, so he's been on that target board for a bit. What did this do for the familiarity between him and the program? Yeah, we might as well touch on both of the Williams duo while sure. we're at it. But just
1: start starting with Darren, you know, he's a New York native who picked up his offer during the fall, made it to campus for that Indiana game in late October. No, he uh, he camped for the Penn State staff previously, and he tested pretty well. I he ran in like the 4-4 range. So I think that drew a little bit of interest from the staff. I think he's got a good relationship with Marcus Hagan's At this point, you know, everything he has said to me, he's really had a good relationship with Hagan since the day he camped. So that's a big selling point for Penn State in this recruitment. And I think Williams is a guy right now probably to keep an eye on moving forward, given the fact that that wide receiver board is still coming together and a pecking order is still being established. But Williams is definitely a name of intrigue right now. You know, he's a local regional guy who has showed out in a camp setting for the staff before, and, you know, I think there's definitely a chance that he could move up the board moving forward. We're going to have to see how things fall with certain targets. Taz Williams is, you know, he's down in Texas right now, but he's a Pennsylvania native. He still frequents in the area during the offseason. I believe he does some training in Pennsylvania. I believe one of his family members, I think it's his mother still lives in the area. So, you know, maybe that's more of a realistic target for Penn state than it kind of appears to be. You know, you see a Texas guy come up to campus, and then you wonder if he's ever going to make it back. Williams is in Pennsylvania. I don't want to say frequently, but, you know, he still makes it back to Keystone State here and there. So there's definitely – coming out of this visit, it seemed like he had a pretty good experience, and I think the staff helped itself with him. Penn State probably higher on Williams' list coming out of that visit. So we're going to have to see if he makes it back in the spring. You know, sometimes during that blue-white game, you see guys who – Maybe aren't in your traditional recruiting footprint, but they have some sort of ties to the area. Sometimes those guys seem to filter back for the blue-white game, and potentially, you know, earlier at some point during spring practice. So I think Williams could be a guy who makes it back to campus and continues to evaluate things and see how he continues to mesh with the Penn State coaching staff, and specifically Hagen's, of course. Let's
0: stick a receiver and push it into the 2026 cycle because one of the best in the country from that class was on campus. And this is a guy I got a chance to watch a little bit of his huddle film. And I remember him blowing up as a sophomore in 2022, but another year, or I'm sorry, as a freshman in 2022. And then another year, sample size at the high school level, combined with some of the work he's putting at the camp circuit, all adds up to make Davion Brown the number three wide receiver recruit in the country right now in 2026 class based on 24 7 sports evaluation. He's the number one player in Virginia. He's at Trinity Episcopal in Richmond. He's the number 16 overall player right now in that very early top 24 7. Remember, Brown and company in that class, they're just sophomores. They're finishing their sophomore years in the next few months. Then they're moving on to junior year. So halfway through high school, but man, six foot three, 185 pounds. The production is there. Davion Brown looks the part of a guy you want back on campus over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, you put on his film, and it's pretty easy to say that he's going to be one of the elite wide receivers in that 2026 class. You know, you mentioned it, 6'3", 185, highly productive, has all the traits that Penn State would love to add to its wide receiver room. I think Higgins is also a pretty good start with Brown. I definitely think, you know, as the cycle progresses, Penn State is going to continue looking to get him back to campus. The big thing with Brown I think he's going to be watching is Andy Codelnicki's offense and Penn State's usage of its wide receivers moving forward. He got the chance to meet Codelnicki on Saturday and you know, he was just really impressed with scheme and Codelnicki overall. So he's going to be keeping a pretty close eye on that wide receiver and more specifically scheme. How does Penn State's offense fare under Colton, Nicky, that's going to be a big factor in Brown's interest in Penn State moving forward. So if the wide receivers take off under Colton, Nicky's watch, I think that's only going to help the Nittany line with one of the top receivers, not only in the nation, but in the region. Now He's really right in your recruiting footprint in Virginia. And we've seen Penn State go into Virginia and have its fair share of success on the recruiting trail. So he's going to be a priority for the staff moving forward. You know, One of those top 20, 26 names overall.
0: I mean, you mentioned Virginia as Penn State's footprint, and it absolutely is, uh, you know, annually that, that shows out, but that is Marcus Hagan's footprint. Mm-hmm. He spent a decade as a coach on the, on the Virginia Cavaliers uh, squad. He played for Virginia. I mean, I'd imagine there isn't a high school uh, worth noting in Virginia that he hasn't at least knocked on the door over or put a call into the athletic director and the football coach. There's a ton of familiarity there. We have not really seen that result in, 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 a, in a commitment on the recruiting trail. And with the 2026 guy, don't hold your breath. But I'm curious is that something that you're seeing working in Marcus Hagan's favor with 2025 recruits? And, and obviously, in this case, with a 2026er, but all that I'd imagine, uh, you know, track record and, and goodwill built up in the state of Virginia, is that
1: correlating
0: here in State College when he's looking to bring receivers to his room?
1: I think it has the potential to. Yeah, he he is very well respected in Virginia given the number of years that he spent in Charlottesville at UVA. There's also you have to factor in, you know, quite frankly, UVA was recruiting at a different level than Penn State. You know, sometimes that requires you to go into certain schools that you may not look at when you're recruiting higher level wide receivers at Penn State. So it's a little bit different of an experience for him, but he's got those deep ties in the state, and he's well-respected in the region. So I do think it works in Penn State's favor, and I think it helps to get guys like Brown, the elite guys in the region, back to campus moving forward. It's kind of a wait-and-see thing because, you know, we're still early in Higgins' tenure at Penn State's wide receiver coach. We're going to have to see how those relationships play off. And you got to keep in mind, you know, running backs Coach Jay Wan Sider. He's well-respected in the region as well and has a lot of ties. So he'll play a role in all of Penn State's pursuits in Virginia as well. So those two teaming up, we all know what Sider could do on the recruiting trail. So – Those do have the potential to definitely accomplish something in Virginia moving forward.
0: From a a position room that that has a lot of of answers to come up with here in, in 2024 and beyond to one that seems to have the answer ready every year no matter what happens is tight end. And part of that is they have recruited at an extremely high level. They've been able to be selective. It's a conversation that you and I have had several times on this podcast. We've come up a few times as we've looked at some of these junior day lists and the caliber of tight end they're bringing in. I'm going to double dip the conversation here with you. Uh, a guy that we discussed a bit going into last weekend, Hayden Bradley at a Buford High School in Georgia. Uh, Over two dozen offers really projecting as a high profile name to know at tight end in the 2025 class at six foot five, 220 pounds. And then someone who really kind of putting together a similar resume for himself one class. Later in the 2026 cycle out of Michigan, uh, Port Huron Northern High School is Lincoln Watkins, six foot four, about 205, 210 pounds right now as a high school sophomore and someone who is really gaining steam as a power five prospect. He was able to add a Penn State offer to his list. So kind of put us uh, at the latest with the tight end spot with Watkins, Bradley and where things stand.
1: Yeah, I mean, Bradley's a really impressive athlete. You know, he's not Luke Reynolds, but he's kind of like Luke Reynolds if you put on the film. You know, he's big, he's got the frame, and he's a pass catching athletic tight end. You know, that plays in Penn State's offense. You know, obviously, you're going to have to do some inline work as a blocker as well. But Bradley's film, you could easily see his receiving ability. It was his first visit to Penn State over the weekend. And I think the Nittany Lions did enough to kind of stamp themselves as a real player. With the Georgia native moving forward, now I do think it'll be interesting to see if he winds up making it out of the South because he's getting a lot more SEC offers as we noted last week, and he's getting those you know high level regional ACC offers as well. You know, Florida State, Miami, they're involved with Bradley. So, and Michigan, you know, if he does leave the region, Michigan is another potential option for him. So he's definitely not short on suitors right now. But everything went well for him. At Penn State over the weekend. He and his family made the trip, got more comfortable with Ty Howell. That relationship's in a pretty good place. Really, just he kind of spent the afternoon, but I feel like both sides spent the afternoon kind of feeling each other out. You know, Bradley noted that Howell was pointing out certain things to see how he would fit in at Penn State, and everything really checked out. Bradley's a guy the Penn State staff wants. You know, he's, I I don't want to say elite, but he's teetering on that brink of being an elite athlete. You know, I think that's something that I see out of him at the tight end position. I think he's one of the higher end athletes at tight end in the 2025 class. I do think, you know, with his stock on the rise, when it comes time for him to receive a ranking, I do think he's going to, you know, check in quite respectfully. I I think he's a very intriguing prospect, one who has gradually moved up this Penn state board really ever since this newfound involvement. It's not a longstanding relationship by any stretch, but it is one that has kind of taken off in a short period of time. And this junior day visit definitely helped to kind of move the needle in that regard. Um, and, and I know I, I, when I ask two
0: questions, I'm only going to get one answer. Oh, yeah. the way. Lincoln Watkins. When it comes to Lincoln Watkins, <laughs> uh, what do you make of the early offer? Because we have talked about how Penn state can be picky and choosy mm-hmm. when it comes to tight end prospects. And, and we've seen some really good blue chip tight ends, like four star caliber, 20 plus offers come to camps, you and I, and leave without an offer just because that's where Penn state is recruiting the position they offer this young fella out of Michigan you know, halfway through his sophomore year in Lincoln Watkins, and he's gonna be a busy name in Big Ten territory. But you talk to Lincoln, what what kind of a move did Penn State make early on?
1: I'd say a big one to be you know. I mean, we talk about oh, well, this guy will probably be back for more visits. Lincoln Watkins will definitely be back for more visits. He wants to get to know a lot more about Penn State. He really likes Ty Howell, he likes James Franklin, Just really liked the whole message of the Penn state coaches staff while he was on campus for this junior day visit we wanted to get to Penn state. Cause again, that pedigree of developing tight ends and recruiting tight ends at a high level, Lincoln Watkins wanted to see that for himself. And he winds up to leaving town with an offer. It's definitely a big one early in his recruitment. I think regionally, you know, him being a Michigan native, he's probably going to blow up in that regard. I think he's got the talent to be one of the top tight ends in the Midwest. As his career progresses, maybe one of the top tight ends, in the nation, depending on how things play out. You know, we're going to have to see. There's some pretty talented 2026 20, tight ends that Penn State has hosted before. Lincoln Watkins, he's, he's a pretty good one, man. But he's definitely going to be back. Uh, he mentioned, you know, getting potentially getting back during the spring, potentially camping during the summer to put in some work with Hal and, you know, get more comfortable working with him, see what it's like developing under his watch. But uh, Lincoln Watkins is going to be a guy we're talking about a lot moving forward. He really, really loved, oh, I'd say, every aspect of his trip to Penn State, especially getting the offer.
0: And we talked about penn state recruiting from a position of strength at tight end in the 2024 cycle and obviously bringing in the five-star prospect in rankings and luke reynolds uh but imagine where they might be with a 2026 class with a guy like this. Yeah. When, when you give Theo Johnson some time to go prove himself at the pro level, by the way, he's off to a really nice start at the senior bowl practice sessions. And when you also, by then see what Tyler Warren can accomplish. This is a guy who's probably going to leave as, as Penn state's all time touchdowns leaders at, at tight end. And he has a, a pretty impressive pro profile as well. Let's finish with a couple of defensive backs who are on campus here. Uh, Tyler So before we put our, uh, our, our line of sight towards next Saturday, with a couple names you wanted to get to who've already been confirmed on that list. But going back to Elbert to Hill, the Ohio defensive back who, who we loved on the camp circuit last year, yeah. I think the last episode, uh, I spent a lot of time discussing why I thought he was one of the most impressive 2026 campers we saw in Happy Valley last summer. And then Jadon Blair in the 2025 cycle, big, long safety prospect of the four-star variety who's been to campus a bunch how do they move the needle with each of these guys? Hill, a 2026 cornerback, he's going to be one of the top rated guys at that position uh, in the Midwest. And then Jadon Blair, who is certainly high on that target board for Penn State at safety in the 2025 cycle.
1: Definitely move the needle with both. I think it's more significant with Blair, you know, him being a 2025 prospect who was solidified as one of Anthony Poindexter's top safety targets, if not his absolute top safety target. The big thing with Blair in this visit was I think he learned more about his potential role in Penn State's defense. And obviously he's gotten to know, you know, what Penn State's plan is for him throughout his involvement with the Nittany Lions and his recruitment. But I think, you know, new defensive coordinator Tom Allen in place, Poindexter and the staff were able to lay out, you know, all the specific ways he could be utilized. And It really comes down to, you know, what he feels most comfortable doing and what plays to his strengths the most. I think that was something that really appealed to Blair, I got the, you know, Brian Doan caught up with him. I got the chance to trade some text with Blair over the weekend. And Penn State just continues to fare really, really well here. The big thing for Blair outside of football is he feels Anthony Poindexter is a guy he can really relate to. He's a guy that he can trust and just, you know, be around on a daily basis. And that's a big deal with every recruitment. You know, it's not just all about ball for these guys. You know, they want to be around coaches who... You know, make it feel like home and guys they could trust and talk to anything about. And Poindexter has reached that point with Jadon Blair. This is another one where Penn State is going to receive an official visit. Blair has been consistent in saying that. There's a chance that he could be back on campus for the spring as well, he told me. So he's still working on that spring practice visit schedule. He told me it's really going to come down to, you know, what were Trey's parents and what doesn't. So I think that'll determine whether or not he makes it to Penn State. But even if he doesn't come back in the spring, he's going to be back in the summer. And Penn State, is, I think Penn State's going to have a real chance to steal the deal the next time Jadon Blair makes it back to campus, the next couple times Jadon Blair makes it back to campus because he's moving up in his recruitment. You know, that timeline is starting to get to the point where I do think he's going to go through his official visit schedule. But if he feels like he's in the right place, I think he would be ready to make a move based on some of the feedback we received, I think Penn State continues to be a program that, you know, kind of garners that feeling from Blair. So a really good visit for Jadon Blair over the weekend, potentially the most significant, you know, in terms of moving the needle, probably of any prospect Penn State hosts, in my opinion. I think Penn State did a really, really great job with Blair. And then with Hill, it's still really early, and I just continue to get this sense that Ohio State's going to be difficult to top. You know, you talk to people in the region, and you know, there's kind of a similar sense. But I think if there is going to be a program that gives the Buckeyes a real run for their money, with Elbert Hill, it's going to be Penn State because that relationship with Terry Smith is off to a really, really good start. And you also like Tom Allen as well. I got to meet him for the first time. He really appreciated Allen's overall philosophy, you know, caring for the guys on his defense out of something that stood out to Hill. You know, got back with Jane Franklin, who he has expressed multiple times. He likes him and his personality. He's a guy that he could see himself playing for. So Penn State has probably done all it could with Elbert Hill early on, you know, to stand out. I think they've accomplished a lot with him early on. Again, still really early as so we got to see. He continues to make it back to campus where things stand with him. He told me he's not sure if he's going to be back in the spring, but it's definitely in the cards.
0: I think whenever his offer sheet fully materializes, I think when he dwindles it down to his final few, it's going to be a who's who kind of list for Mm -hmm. for Albert Hill, ultimately at the end of the day. And then with Blair out of Mount Tabor in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, as you said, maybe it's just a matter of a visit or, or two. Uh, before he before the comfort levels there we'll find out uh, in the case of both of these but with blair a little more urgency being 2025. all right great stuff for reviewing just just some of the names there were so many that had uh, coverage at lines247.com from the last few days Uh, that made it to campus this past Saturday. But great work from you, Tyler, on that. Let's finish. Just give our listeners a couple early confirmed names for the first Saturday of February Junior Day, which is the final of these back-to-back-to-back scheduled out recruiting events. A couple names that we need to know about thus far on, on Tuesday.
1: Yep. Last of three junior days is going to feature some big names, you know, in-state backer, Cam Smith from St. Joe's Prep. He's going to be back in town. This is a big visit for him. You know, it's going to be his first time meeting Tom Allen. And I think it's going to play a big part in determining where the Nippy Lions stand with him moving forward. And then out of region, you've got an elite safety in the 2025 class, Amari Wallace. Miami Central. So those are two of the bigger names making to make into campus this week. And, you know, we're expecting top 24-7 in-state quarterback Matt Zollers back in town as well. So that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this visitors' list. There are a bunch of really interesting prospects who have already confirmed their plans to attend in-region, out of region, 2025, 2026, even 2027. So it's going to continue to grow as the week progresses. But Penn State's looking like it's going to have itself a pretty impressive group of visitors on campus before the beginning of the dead period here.
0: So Tom Allen, uh, Terry Smith, Anthony Poindexter, step on up. We've talked about some and you're talking about with Cam Smith, top 24-7. In fact, right there around the top 150 overall linebacker prospect out of one of the premier programs in the country at Philadelphia St. Joe's. And then Amari Wallace, who, who spoke with Brian Doan recently about his Penn State interest. He's a top 50 overall prospect uh, at the safety position, kind of shades of King Mac in terms of a very high-profile safety down in, in the South Florida region, taking a, a serious look at the Nittany Lions. We appreciate the perspective. There's just a couple names of what will be a very long list to materialize in the coming days at lines 247com 30% off VIP access going on right now. Uh, take a look at what Tyler has cooking along with Brian Doan and our amazing recruiting team at 24-7 Sports. Appreciate it, Tyler. Thanks for having me back, man. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Let's shift gears and go over to Daniel Gallen now, because as we discuss the future of Penn State, we are currently in the present. And when you talk about January uh, of of the calendar year in college football, it's kind of an in between period. You're not quite at, at realizing the, the the true roster that you're going to be covering. And the next season but you're certainly moved beyond the last roster you saw playing in penn state uniform and right now to try to piece that together with me is daniel Gallon, as i referenced daniel good to have you back i think we gave you like a two-week hiatus here in <laughs> january from the podcast we had a lot of other things cooking you needed some time away i i, I think uh, i think our listeners missed you though so we're happy to have you back
2: yeah when i was when i was firing up the, the microphone i was like oh it's it's been a while uh, it's gonna be like riding the bike i think but yeah, I'm good to be back. And you know, we're at the end of January. I think things are kind of starting to pick up a little bit in terms of looking at the off season, thinking about twenty twenty four a little bit, how things are gonna look. So you know, we've we've got a lot to talk about still at this point
0: absolutely and, and the the topic of conversation for us here on this segment after tyler calvaruso did a great job giving us the latest on recruiting is is the latest on where we think see things from a personnel standpoint as this depth chart again not going to be complete until the summer we don't think that the transfer portal is done with penn state yet not it goes for guys leaving that goes for guys coming and then we've got a bunch more freshmen and i just want to remind people in recent years you've had the likes of Abdul Carter and, and Jamil Lyons show up you know, in the summer as, as freshman enrollees and then up burning redshirt that fall. So those players are not going to be part of the conversation. Any unforeseen transfer additions and, and any of those freshmen that are on campus, we're talking about the roster as currently constructed, preparing for winter workouts, preparing for spring practices, which follow spring break in mid-March uh, and ultimately ending with the blue-white game uh, in mid-April. So Daniel, I think we've got to start. We're going to go offense. and You've got to start with the offensive line because this is one that made so many strides under, under Phil Trotwine the last couple of seasons, but the familiar faces that were part of that in key ways are gone. All-American Olu may maybe the first offensive lineman off the board in the 2024 NFL draft. Caden Wallace certainly helped his draft stock with a strong season at right tackle in 2023. And then Hunter Norzad making the transition from left guard to center after being an Ivy League tackle really stepped up to the plate, and I thought during the second half of the season particularly was able to gain some health, was able to really gain some momentum of the position, and he's carried that over a bit at the Shrine Bowl this week. So those are three serious components of the offensive line. Salim Wormley, a six-year guy, he's opted in for his sixth year rather than, than and, and and turning his back on COVID eligibility and trying his hand at the pro level. So that's a big win on the interior, but the perimeter and the heart of this thing at center, you've got vacancies.
2: Definitely. I I think that, you know, I think in the past, if you said that Penn State had to replace three starters on the offensive line, it might ring some alarm bells. I think this year, losing players of the caliber of Fashionew and Wallace, you're still kind of your antennas up a little bit. But the the way that Phil Troutline has stocked this room and developed some of these younger guys, I mean, you feel pretty decently good about what you have. Um, along this offensive line right here. And you know, I think that you, know, you mentioned those guys who have showed up over the summer uh, and been able to contribute in the fall. I think that Drew Shelton is one of those guys uh, last year when he showed up in, in summer 2022 and suddenly he's starting at left tackle for the stretch run. And I think that he got you know kind of put behind the scenes a little bit this year because olu fashion who was able to come back and stay healthy and caden wallace came back and stayed healthy and was effective um and so i think he's someone that you kind of you know pencil in maybe to that starting left tackle spot that's kind of the the first person that you look at um in in that position so and it's going to be important you know protecting drew allers blindside i i think that we saw him have some some clean pockets to work with, but every once in a while with these quarterbacks, if you can speed them up, you can really alter the game. So I think that if Drew Shelton can be a, a solid left tackle, uh, that can go a, you know a long way for your offense. Um, on the right side, I think that's maybe going to be one of the more interesting um, battles. I think because you brought in because I think Anthony Donko which is kind of a is kind of a wild card there. You know, we were surprised to see him at right tackle uh, in the Peach Bowl. Uh, you did a great job catching up with him afterwards to kind of figure out how exactly that came together and, and what that can mean for him moving forward. Um, but you know, for him to have that versatility to play at either guard or tackle, um, especially on the right side, that that gives you a, a little something extra. Um, I, I think that you know even you know, a little bit more than, yeah, the Peach Bowl was exactly was a, a month ago. So you talk about a month ago, and a couple hours, you know, Anthony Donko was not on our radar uh, for for the right tackle position. And in 2024, um, you know, Nolan Rucci transferring in from uh, Wisconsin. He's someone else that can factor in there. Um, and then you go into the depth. You've got Chim Ono, a former top 24-7 recruit, and Javen Williams, a former five-star recruit. Um, Who can play tackle. So you've got a lot of talent there. You've got a lot of different guys with different traits, uh, a couple different body types when you talk about Nolan Rucci being six foot eight. Um, So there's a lot for Phil Trout Ryan to work with
0: uh, right there. Yeah, we got some confirmation uh, from a program source this week that Rushi will indeed be focused in at right tackle, which is interesting because he exclusively when he got into game action this past year with Wisconsin, it was at left tackle And and going back and looking through his involvement last year he had about the same amount of regular season reps as like Chimdi Ono and Javon Williams. I think more along the line of Javon Williams uh, than, than Ono who only got into two games, but this was his third year at Wisconsin and he played about 35 snaps during the regular season. And then he played about 35 snaps in the bowl game when their left tackle went down with an injury. Um, and so we're not talking about him playing right tackle. I, I think a lot of people see former five-star Prospect Nolan Rucci, who's six foot eight, transfers into Penn State. He's been around the Big Ten for three years, and they think, okay, well, that's that's your starter. That's clearly going to be a starter. But he's played in five, six college games, you know. And, and, and you think about the, at, at, at tackle where there are bodies that you love. There are the blue chip prospect profiles, guys who had major recruitments all over that tackle position right now. Uh, but there is such a gap between Drew Shelton and everybody else in terms of what they've actually gone out and done at this level of football. He's got six starts under his belt at left tackle for the Penn State and Indian Lions, including two bowl, New Year's Six Bowl games uh, you know, against very high-quality opponents. And I think Drew Shelton will probably be the first person to tell you he'd like to have maybe a redo uh, in the Peach Bowl. Uh, yeah, I, I know the pro football focus grades were not good. I think he was the, the lowest-graded performer on offense overall, whereas Donka came through, and you could really see it in real time, very steady, consistent, and 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 the grades reflected that now with Drew Shelton. Um, this is a situation now where you're gonna want him to be uh, his is let's put it this way outside of Drew Aller, is it fair to say you can make a case and and we'll get to the receiver room in a second that Drew Shelton's progression is maybe as important as any individual on this offense between now and next september because of what that left tackle rep position represents what you've gotten out of it in recent years and what we just don't know about drew shelton yet even though he played almost 400 snaps as your primary backup tackle on both sides of of the of the line last year it's just a major spotlight and it feels like he's going to be the guy to address it again javen williams uh Chim Di Ono, he cross trained these are guys who could be threats you know to, to supplant drew shelton to sur- create some kind of a rotational approach early in the season but because of that divide and actually you know getting out there in cleats and playing against power five opponents drew shelton certainly feels like the guy who's gonna have that job to lose and the guy who's gonna be paramount to show up and, and perform at a higher level than we've seen in the past and we've seen some pretty good moments from shelton but Year three is going to be huge for him and huge for this offense.
2: Yeah, I mean, when when you talk about the tackle position at Penn State, especially the left side, Olu Fashinu was pretty much set it and forget it. Uh, Caden Wallace turned into that, um, you know, down the stretch of the twenty twenty three season. But it, it's kind of the thing where with some of these offensive linemen, uh, unless you're kind of in the the Olu Fashinu class or you have a highlight like Jv Nelson had early last year. Um, if we're not talking about you, that's probably a good thing. Uh, and if we are talking about you, there's you know probably some stuff going on. Um, so I, I think with Drew Shelton, I mean, I think that the what you want to kind of see from him is almost you you don't want to notice him, you don't want to notice. Uh, watching practice, someone like Zariah Fisher, deny Dennis Sutton, um, making a play, getting into the backfield, you know, something along those lines. So I I think that it'll be really important for for Penn State this year to get some really good play out of Shelton. I mean, I I think that like any good offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, you adjust to your personnel. So what they did last year when they had Fashnu in there is probably gonna be a little bit different um, than how you play Shelton, just because they're two different players two different skill sets, two different talents. Um, so what that looks like, that's what this spring is for. <laughs> that's what the offseason is for um, and all of that. But I do think that you look at left tackle, it just stands out as a very, very important position when you talk about what you want to see from Penn State this year, or, you know, potentially what what a ceiling could be. If you can get really high quality
0: play from that spot, it goes a long way. And I know I kind of talked about them in passing here, but I really let, let's see what Javon Williams can do. Let's see what Jim Ono can do. Those guys came a long way in their first years. And Ono is one of those guys. He may have been the one of the last guys to get to campus from that freshman class. And yet by the end of the year, he looks like a 25 year old out there physically. I mean, he was really impressive. What can they do fundamentally this spring? What can they accomplish competitively this spring? And, and, and I think Ono can be a factor on both tackle positions. We saw Javen only playing games at left tackle. We saw him practice a little bit at right tackle, but I'm thinking he is at left. Um, And then something that we do know now, a little more confirmation that came this week from conversations, Cooper Cousins will be focusing in at center. So officially add his name to the hat as as we figure out who replaces Hunter Norzad. Now, we've said this before. Nick Dawkins is viewed as a captain in the making. A lot of people thought he could have been a captain this year as a non-starter, and that's just something you don't hear a lot in college football. He also played... A considerable amount of, of football this year after missing most of the 2022 season with an injury. He was the primary backup at center. He got the the, the the stretch run of it in the Peach Bowl when you saw some of the second teamers coming at certain spots. He was that guy. We've got Cooper Cousins there. Vega Ioane. This is a guy who can play all three of those interior positions. He could be your starting left guard next year. He could be your starting center next year. Uh, he, I'm not going to rule him out for anything. And he could push Salim Wormley at right guard. Uh, but then you throw in Cooper Cousins. You want to talk about a guy who's who's ready to ball. Six foot six, three hundred twenty plus pounds. Our twenty four seven Sports Network uh, pros just named him the best run blocker in attendance at the All American Bowl in San Antonio, Texas. A lot to love about this guy, throwing the nasty streaks, throwing the fact that he's got two summers' worth of camps with Phil Troutline and Frank Leonard under his belt. I'm not saying he's going to go out and even be ready to play game snaps at center in September, which goes so far beyond just pushing the guy in front of you and trying to create space. What you have to do at center before the snap, what you have to do at center for your quarterback, for the entire offense, not just in games, but day to day to day, that's a lot to throw at a freshman. But consider me intrigued enough that I think Cooper Cousins – is gonna at least get a chance to tiptoe toward that four game threshold and see what he's got inside. I'm also, again, thank you Ioane, Nick Dawkins. I love what all these guys can bring. I think physically, you, it, it, there's just some monsters here. And, and I, you really want to what comes of it. I think Ioane's versatility buys him opportunities to play elsewhere. But with Dawkins, and I think at least in year one with Cooper Cousins, we're probably focusing in on center. And I think if you are gonna have a mentor of sorts here, And Dawkins is down the wire with his eligibility now. It's a great spot to have him spending this much time with Cooper Cousins as he gets kind of ingrained within the program.
2: Yeah, I I think this is another thing when you look at the job that Phil Troutwine has done with with depth and development um, in in terms of recruiting and bringing guys in to where we have these three guys that we can really reasonably talk about um, at the center position. And depending on how Cooper Cousins comes along, depending on what – uh, Vanga joana is doing. If if you can set up the two deep, where if you need to, if there's an injury or there's something going on at center where, you know, say Nick Dawkins is the starter and, and he needs to come out for a play or something, you only have to change one position. You don't have to, you know, slide somebody over, you know, from guard and then put a new guard in uh, and have guys at two different, new guys at two different positions. You can go pretty, have a two deep, go one for one across the board. And I, I think that, at least in the way I look at offensive line play, I, I think that that's definitely a benefit uh, for Penn State. But you know, all three of these guys, I think Nick Dawkins is probably one of the more uh, intriguing players uh, in terms of spring ball. Maybe it's a little bit more under the radar because you do have some of these newer shiny toys like Cooper Cousins and some of these transfers that are coming in. But when, when you look at center, I mean, Nick Dawkins has it's been around for a long time. Uh, he hasn't played too, too much football uh, despite being around for so long, but he was in there last year. I, I think that it helped that Norzad was, was a veteran who had you know, a lot of film and someone they really wanted to keep healthy because I think that allowed Dawkins to get um, you know some extra reps in there. He did rep at guard in addition to center. Um, I, I think that that kind of puts him in a position this off season to be able to be a contributor this year. So I, I it's going to be interesting to watch Dawkins come along um yeah, everything that he does is gonna have a, a Cooper Cousins size shadow behind it, I think, because people are really, really excited about him and the type of player he's come in as. But I, I think that with all three of these guys, um, you have you know, one of the most physically imposing guys on the roster in Yoane. You have a veteran who's seen a lot and done a lot and has the respect and has the voice in Dawkins, and then you have a, a young talent that people are really excited about in cousins. It's a I think it could be a really, really fun position group.
0: Yeah, and, and and we spent so much time talking about the physical specimen that Ioane is, and, and Franklin's said it 5,000 times. He's never seen 350 pounds move so well in a football field before, and we've always raved about Cooper Cousins' size. But I don't want to shortchange Nick Dawkins because he is six foot four, 3'15". When you stand next to him, he is a, a, an imposing figure. So none of these guys are lacking. They will not be lacking physicality at center, uh, and that will be a fun battle to follow. And I'm just going to remind people as we, as we get away from the offensive line We have seen Phil Troutwine enter seasons with rotational plans and back-to-back seasons now, and it worked out pretty well for them. Some of those plans went by the wayside because of injuries or because of performance. Some of them sustained for much of the season. So don't be surprised if when this team goes on the road and plays West Virginia, you get a couple series of Anthony Donka and a couple series of Nolan Rupche and what have you. I don't think you really go and mess with that at center. If I'm being honest, I think that would be a really, really risky move. Uh, But but we've got a long way to go before they get to that matchup in Morgantown. And we're going to keep the focus on offense through this episode. We're going to get to the defensive depth chart on a future episode of this podcast. But there's a lot of juicy storylines here. And one of them is at tight end where again you've got the goods you've got the pieces to step up and replace a guy i'm not sure if penn state lost 1a or 1b at the tight end position daniel but they lost a really good one in theo johnson who's off to a strong start at the senior bowl in mobile alabama this week and, and putting his stuff to the test in front of NFL scouts and Tyler Warren. That's what it's going to be about for him next year. He'll have a full season to, to be one of the most discussed tight end prospects. We think for the 2024 NFL draft and all the chance to do some damage in record books at Penn state, but next to him and beyond him, uh, you've got a starting tight end role. If they want to keep lining up two starting tight ends. And I guess that's going to depend on how guys perform, but we know what the situation is. Receiver feels like you can still lean on tight end. Khalil Dinkins, you know, just going back to, to last week on this podcast, Caden Wallace, he was his pick for, for the guy who's going to break out this year. He says he's ready to do it. Coaching staff has, has really been complimentary of Dinkins taking steps forward physically as a blocker. He's come a long way from the, you know, the athlete kind of positionless prospect he was coming into campus. And I think he was at 220 pounds at that point. So I think he's a lock for one of those top three jobs. Is he starting? Is he the third guy? Maybe that depends on what Andrew Rappelier can do as a redshirt freshman.
2: Yeah. When I, when I was looking at the tight end group, I, I think that kind of the, I don't know, the the X factor in terms of how this room shakes out, I think is what you get out of Andrew Rappelier, how, how far up the depth chart he can rise. Um, I, I think Dinkins is someone that we've heard a lot of excitement about uh, and, and a lot of praise for um, over these, these past couple of years. I think that, you know, his teammates and coaches really respect him and, um, you know, recognize the work that he's done in his development. And, and you know, we saw it last year, you know, whenever they threw the ball to him, uh, you know, most of the time he made a play and it turned out it was in some pretty crucial spots in terms of fourth down and the red zone. Um, so I, I think that he's someone that it is going to be interesting to see maybe how he and Rapelier can complement each other, can supplement each other uh, because they are, I think, pretty different types of players. Um, but when you, know, when you look at tight ends too, I mean, it's kind of like, what what are you going to get out of Jerry Cross in year three? I, I think that's another factor in, in how this room comes together. Uh, he had the injury his freshman year. Last year as a redshirt freshman, we just didn't hear from him too much, didn't see him out there too much. Um, and I think that you know, given on where we saw Rapoliere, um come in and, and some garbage time at, at various points, I think that that kind of offers a window into how things were stacking up. So I think that Raplier is someone who can really maybe change the picture of the room a little bit. It, it seems like these past couple of years, uh, these past two years, the the pecking order was kind of dictated by your class mm. where you had when you had strange, Johnson, Warren, um, you know down to Dinkins, and it kind of was a very kind of tidy uh, sequence in terms of guys moving up the depth chart. Um, I think with Raplier. That disrupts it a little bit. Luke Reynolds, the five star coming in, he can really disrupt that. Um, it, so, I mean, Ty Howell has done a, a great job of really developing this room and, and putting it together. Um, it's just kind of the now. How is this going to shake out now on the field? Because I think that you know maybe the first time over the past couple of years, it's kind of a a little bit of a wild card in terms of mm-hmm. Dinkins, Raplier, Reynolds, Cross. You know, can't forget Joey Schlaffer either. Um, I think Warren is <laughs> pretty entrenched right now but after him i think you can go you can make a case for a lot of these guys especially the ones who have played a little bit more
0: ball we've seen penn state with regularity you know Feature two tight ends and then have a third on standby, and, and he's he's there, he's available. And Khalil Diggins was that guy this past year, and and you know you have a new offensive coordinator. He certainly is going to. And everything we hear about Kotal Nicky is he is a guy who's going to try to tailor his attack toward personnel strengths, and, and he's going to not be stubborn a, a about that. So th- th- this is a room where it certainly looks like a strength. So wondering how they utilize some things. You know, Rappelier, we discussed so much last year coming on campus, and you know if Theo Johnson or Tyler Warren ever are sidelined during the course of that season for some substantial stretch. I wonder if he may have really taken a big step up and and gotten that run, but it didn't need to happen. Uh, Fortunately for both of those players, fortunately for Penn state. Now you get to the point where he's year two, six, four pushing towards 250 pounds of good weight. And the question I have on Luke Reynolds, like Raplier was a, very good receiver at the high school level who was also becoming a very good blocker. Uh, he was also 240 plus pounds when he got to campus. Luke Reynolds is an elite receiver. I mean, I'm going to put him up there with a lot of the top receiver recruits in the 2024 class nationally, but don't know a ton about him as a blocker i think you saw some things he's got some he's certainly got willingness he played defense as well as a senior so this guy is going to be a fearful of contact but to do it at the big 10 level to do it effectively consistently and right now about 20 pounds lighter than rapelier i think he's just fighting against some things right now when he gets to campus but to his credit he's now fighting them on campus versus rapelier at this point last year was at home in new england counting down the days till may so he could get to work so Maybe that makes an impact for uh, Luke Reynolds between now and September, but just a lot in that room. And you just wonder you know, is everybody going to be around? Is there some guy's going to see the rain on the wall for their futures based on what else is happening around this room? Does this room stay intact? all the way through into the fall, or do we see maybe someone hit the exit door following the spring? Just wonder. It's a little bit of a battle of attrition with this level of talent in one singular room. Daniel, we did skip one position I wanted to just allude to on the offensive line, and it's a little tricky because J.B. Nelson and and Vega Ioane, both kind of had a handle on that job together at left guard last year. I didn't bring it up because I, I feel like we it, it's just like it's there. We, we know both <laughs> those guys are going to factor in unless Vega Ioane goes out and, and, and outright wins the center job over the course of this year or something like that. But Sal Wormley back at right guard, he didn't leave the field really at all during the Peach Bowl. Uh, I think he's going to get the opportunity to have that kind of a long leash at that position. But we saw Venga at right guard. We saw him at left guard. And, and J.B. Nelson, for as much as we heard about it in preseason camp, and at times he flashed it over the course of the season, how he could really be a major commodity for the offense at left guard. He just hasn't been able to string together games. Now, Last year, he was uh, – 2022, he was a red shirt. He played in, I think, four matchups for Penn State. This past year, uh, started eight games, nine games maybe, to Johannes four. Um, and but – was he ever really healthy it felt like no it felt like he was always trying to come back from something or dealing with something and he missed a stretch uh midway through the season then he was unavailable for portions late in the season i think he got involved for one snap in the peach bowl so i, I just don't want people to be like what about left guard what the heck is happening there is it a disaster i think they've got two guys that have played uh, uh, pretty extensively for them and yoane and, and nelson i think those are the two guys we gotta discuss Alex birchmeyer is a name we're all curious about a guard because he was a top 100 prospect last year didn't really make a, a, a major kind of a, a movement here in, in, in year one where he was a scout teamer all the way through. We didn't see him on the field at all during game action. So some questions about where he is in the pecking order with things that guard as well. I want to make sure we, we insert his name to the conversation. But I think with J.B. Nelson, with Venga Ioane, with Sal Wormley, and only two guard spots to deal with. As long as these guys are healthy, you feel pretty good about what you're dealing with in those two spots while you have to kind of replace and and deal with moving parts at the bookends and at center. I just wanted to mention that, Daniel. If you want to add anything, go ahead. (laughs) I just like to make sure that we clean up our business around here when we we notice it.
2: No, I I think you did a good job of covering that space. You're going to have three guys who've played either a lot or a decent amount of football for you. Um, and I think that that's kind of a, you're in a good, good spot there at the two guard
0: spots. Um, looking down the depth chart a little bit, because it's not all about starters all the time. We we, we addressed that at tight end, looking at, at, at you know non-starters, how they could factor in. How about that third running back position, which, you know, you, you, I wasn't really, I didn't know what Trey Potts was going to do. I didn't know how you know, he felt about his first year experience at Penn State. We knew he had an extra uh, additional year of eligibility if he chose to use it in 2024. He did not. Uh, this is a guy who, when he did play for Penn State this year, I think it was something like 20% of his touches went for 12 or more yards. He was an explosive element when he got involved. He threw a touchdown along the way in Big Ten action, but he's moved on. And and, and despite limited touches at Penn State, he wants to see what he can do at the pro level. So with him out of the equation, we still go, Kaytron Allen, Nick Singleton, whatever order you want to list them in, and then a gap, and we'll see who else gets to play. Um, but all of a sudden, with pots gone, it's three guys, and we're talking about scholarship players here. There's going to be walk-ons in the mix, but three scholarship players, Daniel, who have a combined zero game snaps, uh, and and you've got two red shirts in London Montgomery and Cam Wallace, and the new kid in town in Quentin Martin. We'll talk about down the road Corey Smith when he joins the party in the summer. But we're talking about spring competition. J. One Slater loves him some competition. Catron Allen, Nick Singleton, i imagine we'll get an opportunity to take some breathers over the course of this year. So I think there's going to be some serious work for whoever that number three guy is, whether it's in early blowouts or over the course of the season. What do we think about this battle? Because it's hard not, not to keep an eye on Quentin Martin, because neither of those two guys beyond the practice field in Montgomery and Wallace were able to assert themselves as power five game competitors during their first year on campus.
2: It's going to be a really fun room, I think, especially when you factor in the types of athletes that these guys are and and what their skill sets are. Um, I mean, I think that Quentin Martin is someone who, since signing day, we we talked about in sort of the context of you're going to have to figure out how to get this guy on the field somehow, whether that's catching passes, taking handoffs, uh, whatever it is, he's someone who could make an impact. Um, I I think Cam Wallace is someone that uh, I have a lot of excitement for we saw that he made some really serious physical gains last year when he got on campus. Um, I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but he probably put on, he was in the one seventies on signing day. He was in the one nineties, not too long after he got to campus. I think that that's pretty significant when you talk about the the type of athlete that he was in, in high school in Georgia. Um, and I think London Montgomery last year too, the fact that, you know, we knew he was coming off the knee injury and I think before the season, we'd kind of you know, chalked it up to a, a red shirt automatically. But then the fact that he was, I think, ready to go a little in bit August. sooner. Yeah, in August, he was out mm-hmm. there on the practice field. I think that that's really, really big for him in terms of getting gearing up for this year, being able to compete this spring. So I, I think Wallace and Montgomery, I mean, you got to imagine that those two guys are chomping at the bit <laughs> to get out there and and show what they can do. Um, I think that both of us were expecting to see at least one of them during game action last year. Um, that's because we we disrespected Tank Smith and and didn't real and kind of you know didn't have him on our radar as that that running back in garbage time. But you know we we saw that Trey Potts was someone that you know could come in at various points, add something a little bit different to the defense. Uh, we knew how valuable that number three role was going to be so that you didn't have to expose Cam Wallace or London Montgomery to something before they were ready for it. Um, So now you have guys that are ready for it and that are young and that are going to want to prove themselves. So I'm, I'm excited to see how this turns out. I mean, I think that Cam Wallace, you know, I think he can just do some special things. Um, I think Quentin Martin is probably going to be, you know, kind of similar to that after we get a look at him in practice. I think that Oh, once once we get to August, when we talk about you know bold predictions for the non-conference, I think that he's yeah. someone who will will probably pop up in, for us in some of those Mac games. But it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I think that Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, you, you know what you're going to get. Um, I think that you kind of also know this is your last year with them, uh, the way that things go um, and the way that their trajectory is. So you're going to have to manage them. Um, you know, have them in a position to to be healthy and contribute not only for you, but for them, that's part of the deal. Uh, and that's where these other younger running backs come into play.
0: If the Singleton we saw post Mike Yursich firing, because quite <laughs> frankly, that's really what it felt like and what it looked like, it is the Singleton you're getting. And that's one that mirrored much more what we witnessed in 2022 when he went out and won Big Ten Freshman of the Year. And Ktron Allen just seems to be who he is and, and building off of it. I mean, we said it last year, but I, I'm, I'll, uh, none of us are going to be hesitant to do it, even with Nick Singleton's, you know, uh, uh, the production uh, downturn last year. This is a backfield that could be the best tandem in America if it comes together correctly. And but I still think there's room for a third guy, and what they want to do, and what Annie Codel Nicky wants to do, and squeezing every ounce of, of of possible playmaker out of this roster, and, and maybe in some unorthodox spots in the football field. To me, that gives a lot to Quentin Martin because of what we discussed before and what he can be as a receiver and, and just the physicality he already brings as a freshman at this size. And then Cam Wallace is a guy who I think you know had definitely had power five interest at defensive back, at wide receiver. That's slot. So this is somebody who's very versatile. And then with London Montgomery, we didn't hear as much in terms of the flash from the practice field as much as we did Wallace last year, I think, over the course. But something that kept popping up was that he was a guy who was a physically determined runner. Uh, And I think when we were looking at London Montgomery's profile coming out of high school, it was more about some of the breakaway ability uh, and his speed. And so so for him to show some of that physicality on a Power 5 practice field is good. But with all that said, uh, I, I just think Quentin Martin's ability to come in here uh, he is the you know, the highest highest rated recruit out of three. If we're looking at what 24-7 sports gauged them all as, uh, Wallace and Montgomery were, were three-star territory, and then you had Quentin Martin as a, a top 200 overall prospect. The guy spent a lot of time in the top 100. Um, if that talent holds true and it looks like that on the field this spring, we know J. Wan Sider is not going to hesitate to play the guy who belongs in the field. You better be able to block, and, and he's going to make that apparent but j Juan Slater is not going to go with some kind of seniority pecking order right here. So I'm very curious because, some feelings might get hurt, you know. They're, 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 somebody's going to be buried at number five or, or at number four, and, and trying to sniff an opportunity, and maybe feeling like uh, they're they're going to miss out on the season here. But that's the way it works in J. Wan Slater's running back room uh, because of the talent they bring in perennially. And to their credit, we've heard Montgomery and Wallace really bought into that, uh, despite not playing any games last year. Just kind of staying the course and, and being ready for when your time is called. And it's been a pretty good uh, rotate. It's been a pretty good approach for this running back room for a while now. Um, before we get to the receivers room, which is where we're going to finish on offense, um, because you know, obviously there's more to dive in there. One of the third string spot, and, and this is a, a one that I don't think is going to really impact many games over the course of 2024. And if it does, the Nittany Lions are probably in trouble. But the number three quarterback, a, a, and this is a conversation probably setting the stage more for 2025, because if Drew Allard goes out and, and builds off you know a 25 touchdown two interception season and really you know kind of has a launch pad season with Andy Kotelniki as play collar and some of these pieces around him. I don't necessarily can hang you can't hang your hat around having the former number one overall QB on campus for another year. Bo Prabula is clearly a guy that they're intent on using during games. Think, see if that carries over under, under Andy Kotelniki. We've seen him involved out there, but then you've got Jackson Smolick, an Elite 11 finalist, underdog story, committed to Tulane, ends up at Penn State, enrolls last January quietly went about his business, really complimentary around the team facility about how Smolik handled himself as a young quarterback, as a guy who's accounted for to, to orchestrate the offense and, and hold the defense accountable. And he took some lumps over the course of the year from a really good defense, but they liked the way he handled and kept himself together and progressed. And, and James Franklin told us a few times that he may throw the prettiest deep ball on the team based on their practice looks. So Jackson Smolik's got a year under his belt, but then enter the conversation, Ethan Grunkemeyer. Uh, another Elite 11 finalist, but a guy who carried a lot more cachet on the recruiting trail, just about inside the top 100, a top 10 overall QB recruit when you look at 24 7 sports rankings, and a guy that a lot of people will point to and say he's not six foot five, 240 pounds, but packing it in at 6'2, 215 pounds it looks a little bit like drew Aller with some of the stuff he can do. He comes from the same quarterback coach. Uh, there's a lot of that ability and going beyond the arm strength and the way the arm slots go and just improvisationally that you can kind of tie a connection to. So to me, I'm looking at who's the number three quarterback when this team makes its first road trip to West Virginia. And who's the number three quarterback when this team makes his last road trip. And I don't have the schedule handy. So whoever they have to go to and face in late November on the road in big 10 action, because that could teach us a lot about how things are shaping up. And again, this is kind of all with the conversation that Drew Allard takes a step forward and does enough to really entice NFL scouts in 2024.
2: Yeah, that'll be a, a trip to beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota in uh, in late November, which is uh, preceded by a, a trip to West Lafayette uh, in, in late November. So really looking forward to those two. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think that this is one of those kind of sneaky depth chart spots. And I think as you project things forward, it's going to be, you know, interesting to see how this plays out. You know, what Ethan Gronkemeyer is going to be able to do uh, coming in early and, and being able to compete, being able to get adjusted to the college game. Um, but, you know, I do think that Jackson Smolik was someone that I'm really excited to see on the practice field. Um, you know, we didn't get to see him do too, too much uh, last year. And you know, frankly, most of our focus was on Drew Aller uh, and Beau Fribula in our practice looks, but he was someone where I'd, I'd put it in the in the pregame notes when we were in the press box. You'd you'd watch Jackson Smollett go through warmups, uh, you know, playing catch with guys before the game, and his, you know, the ball kind of popped out of his hand a little bit. He was someone that, that you saw, you know, throwing some zip. Uh, you know, I'd be looking down at the computer and out of the corner of my eye, I'd see a ball go, you know, flying down the field. And you would Look up and it was Smolik, and I was you know pretty impressed by that uh, as as the season went along. And so you know, this spring, hopefully, we get a little bit of a longer look at that um, in practice and things like that. But I, I do think Gronkemeyer is going to push. I'm really excited about him. You know, I got to see him you know, throw in person at camps, at Elite Eleven, uh, in game action. Uh, I think that he can do uh, some some different things. Um, you know, the way that he uses arm angles, the way he's still mobile, uh, can move in the pocket. I think he's another one of these guys when, uh, you know, by the time April rolls around, we're going to open the roster and compare what they had him listed at weight-wise on signing day versus what he's listed at after going through an offseason of winter workouts and then spring ball, you know, what kind of physical change he's he's able to make. Um, But I, I think that he's someone that is going to make some throws and and make some plays, you know, maybe in the blue white game where you're really like, Whoa, like this kid has it. So that's going to be a, I think that's going to be a fun one. And, you know, like you said, that if this is affecting things (laughs) this fall, something probably went wrong. Um, But I think that's definitely going to be something to to keep an eye on.
0: Um, And, and, and again, with, with getting here in January, these are all quarterbacks who were recruited to campus, with Mike Yursich as the spearhead in those recruitments, as the offensive coordinator, the quarterbacks coach. But you did have Danny O'Brien working there more in the background, but working with quarterbacks. You had Danny O'Brien on involved in a lot of those rooms, in a lot of those conversations. So there's a level of familiarity there. James Franklin's going to be hands on with the quarterbacks per usual. but Andy Kotalnicki now steps up to the plate and inherits a, a group that there's a lot to like about. I mean, quite frankly, that you could you could maybe find uh, you know you can go and, and you can work your way through quarterback depth charts that that maybe are a little more proven or or have more top to bottom blue chip uh, depth. But I think right now in terms of what Penn State has had to work with, you got to go back maybe five, six years. The last time I think you felt this good about where they are at quarterback, you know, four, four down the line. And also I'm just kind of thinking about a, a freshman leapfrogging the the preceding freshman on the depth chart first year i covered the team and i think injuries may have been involved here with jake zembeck and then that's ultimately why he retired early but he was the guy who the penn state signed in 2016 trying to be that number three quarterback and then the 2017 signee sean clifford ended up jumping him and by the time they got into that september it was trace mcsorley tommy stevens sean clifford Tommy Stevens had trouble staying healthy. That meant a lot of his number two work for Sean Clifford over the next couple of years. And lo and behold, he becomes a four-year starter with the Nittany Lions. But just an example where, you know, someone comes to campus after somebody else and makes a move and, and kind of sets the tone in the trajectory for their quarter, uh, career at quarterback. And speaking of setting the tone, uh, receiver, they, they, they needed to change it. For, for themselves uh, coming out of the last season. It was a rough way to finish a rough year in the Peach Bowl. Took this group about 45, 46 minutes to, to get in the box score uh, with a reception that came courtesy of, of, of Liam Clifford, who's still on campus. And, man, everybody's really still on campus. Christian Driver left uh, in early December when the transfer portal first flew open, and he got out of here after his redshirt freshman year. It was his first year at wide receiver after spending his freshman year at cornerback. And along the way, though, a lot of those familiar veterans – the younger components that we haven't really seen a lot from a game action, they've opted to stick around. And Penn State has obviously you know, provided a message to them where it's going to make sense for both the coaching staff and the players. I don't think anybody's going to stick around where they don't feel like they're going to have a real fair chance to go out and show what they can do. So that leads me to believe that this receiver room is intact for a semester. I'm not buying that this receiver room is intact for 2024, Daniel. I think we know some of the guys that will be here next fall, but this is a proving ground. Starting with the workouts they're doing now, continuing through those 5 a.m., grueling winter workouts where they're going to push these guys in every fundamental way you can imagine, and then going through spring practice most importantly, executing on the field, executing in practice, ultimately getting it on the same page with your quarterbacks and not being a liability. Practice in, practice out, and when it comes that when that closes and the next window comes to the transfer portal. I just think it's inevitable that we'll see some movement. I don't wanna name names. Everybody gets a chance to go out and show what they do. Marcus Higgins didn't bring most of them to campus, almost all of them to campus. So they're working with a different set of eyeballs uh, than the, the guy that brought them to campus as a recruiter. So. Big spring for this group. And 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 I mean, where do you want to start? Where you want to go with Julian Fleming bursting into the party? You want to go with Keandre Lambert? Smith still being here on campus. Harrison Wallace coming back late in the season last year. Where do we want to go? Because there is so much and there's so much needed from this positional unit if college if the college football playoff is going to become a reality next winter.
2: I think one thing that kind of sums up where this room is at is we were talking about the the depth chart and putting it together and kind of maybe projecting where some of these transfers go. Um, you know, maybe trying to slot guys in. And, you know, we talked about kind of in terms of, you know, a depth chart prediction prediction. You know, we'll give the the benefit of the doubt to the incumbents, the the guys that you know have been here and you know we'll see how these newer transfers can come in and, and work their way in. But Julian Fleming, we were kind of like, yeah, we can put him in as as the top wide receiver um, at one of the spots. I mean I think that where this room is, who Julian Fleming is, you kind of know what they're bringing him in for and where he fits into this pecking order um, as a transfer and given his history in production and production and versus what is on the roster. Um, so I, I think starting with Fleming, I mean, I think that you kind of do have to, to pencil him in as, as one of those top three. Um, but after that, you kind of... <laughs> I don't know. We're at the point where it's kind of ad nauseum at this point. Um, But I I mean, I think the one thing that is really that could maybe unlock things is when you think about Keandre Lambert Smith in the slot. Um, If you have Trey Wallace and Julian Fleming on the outside, you can move Keandre Lambert Smith into the slot. And we know that he's a really, really quick athlete. He can be a burner downfield like we saw late in the 2022 season. Um, you know, he's also a shiftier, um, you know, kind of skinnier body type who we've seen make some things happen with the ball in his hands. And so I think maybe with him having that opportunity to be inside, be used there more often, um, you know, maybe that's something that can, can unlock things for him, um, a little bit, you know, I mean, when it goes to Trey Wallace, I think that that's kind of one where you just got to chalk it up to health. Um, you know, being able to be out there, um, you know, during the season to be able to consistently show what you can do, um, you know, like we've talked about, we've only heard good things about it uh, in practice in the off offseason um, in terms of what people think he's capable of. But when it comes to getting to Saturday and making plays on Saturdays, that's where we're all kind of in in wait and see mode um, a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, after that, with these guys, this off season's big. You know, this winter and spring, they really have to show what they're made of. Um, it's kind of this is time to make a move um, for some of these guys if they want to be contributors uh, at Penn State, if they want to be around. Um, and you know, I agree with you that by the time we get to the fall, you know, this room is going to look a lot different. I mean, we know we're, they're going to add Tysier Denmark and Peter Gonzalez um, later this summer. You know, we don't know who's still going to stick around. Um, but it's, it's going to be a lot different, and it's just a, a really, really big spring for all of these guys, for Marcus Higgins, uh, you know, for this offense.
0: I'm glad you brought up Denmark and, and Gonzalez coming to town later in the year, because Brian Doan spoke highly of them. And we, we talked about, I think we we're both in agreement, Brian and I were, that these guys are you know, not going to come in and be starters off the bat, but they have the ability to come in and be contributors in this receiver room if they approach it the right way, if they're able to turn some heads. And I guess the other part of the equation is what happens elsewhere in the room around them because while they're two unknown commodities, I mean, you, you talk about guys that we just don't know much about beyond the high school level on this roster. Carmelo Taylor took a red shirt last year. Tyler Johnson, I think he was listed as out for most of the games last year. He took a red shirt the year before. Uh, Anthony Ivey, it feels like, took back-to-back red shirt years almost because of uh, you know, his lack of involvement on game days. Uh, and then even with some of the veterans, you know, Liam uh, Liam Clifford was announced as a starter a lot last year. He actually started one game and he went a long stretch of the season during the second half of the year where he was not involved on in the offensive attack, really, and especially in that passing game. And uh, he was contributing as a blocker. That changed a bit in the Peach Bowl. He found something there late when the when the passing game got going in the fourth quarter. Uh, him and Harrison Wallace stepped up and made some plays. But uh, Malik Mega, you know, this is what year four on campus, from year five, I think, on campus for him. Still, really, don't know what he's about at wide receiver. We know what he's about. I, on special teams and then you jump into omari evans who you know we thought was an ascending figure on this roster exiting 2023 spring practices he was you know an mvp type in the blue white game in front of our faces and we all knew about the chemistry with drew aller and then I don't think we saw him catch a pass in a game from Drew Aller until like late October, early November. You know, he caught a touchdown from Bo Perbula late in, in a game in September he was banged up for the season opener. But largely, whether he was playing 60 snaps or whether he was like uh, not playing at all, he just wasn't seeing targets and he wasn't a factor on the field. That changed a little bit late in the regular season. He had a couple really nice splash moments in the last couple of Big Ten matchups, but kind of reverted to form in terms of his involvement in the Peach Bowl. So, There's a lot of names, throwing Caden Saunders, a guy who's played a lot, uh, 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 I mean, I guess a lot compared to some of his peers in that class, but still not nearly enough for us to say he is the, you know, he's being translated as a top 24-7 playmaker at the college level. There's just a lot of guys that are waiting to see if it translates, and their most recent high school games are getting further and further in their rear view mirror. And I want to talk about Keiondra Lambert-Smith and Harrison Wallace in a moment. But to me, that's the story about this receiver room, whether it's a fourth or fifth year veteran or first, second, third year type of player. There's too many guys in this room on scholarship uh, who came with accolades and have the physical tools to get it done that have not gotten it done, whether it's a scheme situation or individual progression that needs to be cleared up and addressed because you've got a lot invested in this group right now and you're just not seeing tangible results on the football field. And it just, it can't, can't sustain. It's just not sustainable.
2: Yeah. You, you talk about their last high school games getting further and further away. Um, you know, we, we use those recruiting rankings as kind of a, a gauge as to where these guys are and, you know, and what we think they can be. And you know, we're getting further and further away from that too. You know, Caden Saunders being a top 100 prospect, Anthony Ivy being a top two four seven prospect. Um, you know, those are still things that I think speak to their potential. And you know, we saw Ivy as the season went on, you know, kind of move up in line in practice. That didn't lead to anything on Saturdays, but you know, it was kind of noteworthy with with him and Christian Driver. Um, you know, working at different spots and moving ahead of different guys at various points during our practice windows. But you're really going to have to see. You know, some of these guys step up and, you know, going back to the tight end conversation a little bit, some of these lower depth chart guys are also competing with the tight ends. Um, you know, mm-hmm. someone like Andrew Rapalier and, um, you know, potentially Luke Reynolds, because if Penn State feels that you can get more out of, you know, some combination of, you know, Warren, Dinkins, Rapalier, uh Reynolds, than you can out of, you know, three wide receivers. That's what we're going to, that's what they're going to go to. I and mean, that's what they did this year. You know, Tyler Warren started I think 12 games maybe you know they, they started 12 games in that 12 personnel look. Um, I think that kind of speaks to it too I mean James Franklin talked about it as well that you know they're going to put the guys who can you know run the offense you know who can put the most productive offense together out there and you know that wasn't pretty uh, for much of the the 2023 season so that's something else that these
0: guys have to compete with. We've talked so much about Julian Fleming on this podcast, so I'm not going to go down that road again. If you missed it, a couple episodes ago, we had Patrick Murphy from our Ohio State site, in the 24-7 Sports Network, spent a good 10 minutes with us breaking down what Fleming got done in Columbus, how he will be remembered as an Ohio State player, and really what he might be able to, to accomplish at Penn State. Um, and then Harrison Wallace is a guy that we heard during the buildup to the Peach Bowl, in retrospect, was looking like the number one wide receiver for this team in preseason camp before he goes down down with an early injury and where it looked like he was going to be the catalyst for this passing attack. And you kind of left to wonder, well, what if, and yet all along the way, Keandre Lambert Smith is on this team. And I'll just remind people that no one else in this receiver room, including Julian Fleming, who just joined it, reached 300 receiving yards during the 2023 season. Uh, No one else in this receiver room has a thousand career receiving yards. So Keandre Lambert Smith has done things during his football career that you know, most of this receiver room can't touch. He's had moments in big games. He has had uh, stretches of his career. I think you probably look at the, the the final few games of last year and then maybe the first half of this 2023 season, and he looked every bit of that big play Dre. And all of a sudden, you're starting to feel the buzz. You're feeling the vibes. You're thinking, this guy's building his NFL draft stock, and then kerplunk. I mean, it, he's almost a non-factor for the offense, the final – four games of the season, down the stretch, before you fire Mike Yersich, after you fire Mike Yersich, in the Peach Bowl, where he plays a career-low snaps. And there was a lot of reasons why we felt it was right to wonder, leaving Atlanta, whether Keandre Lambert-Smith had suited up for his final game in a Penn State uniform. By now, we all know he's still on this roster. He has tweeted out a couple weeks ago uh, about his commitment to the team, and it was related to the Happy Valley United uh, NIL stuff. And So it looks like he's on board here. He's the guy that we'd love to talk to as soon as possible, and I hope that we're able to make that happen. But what we have to work off with is what we've heard in the past and what we've seen in the past. And Keandre Lambert-Smith, assuming he is bought in for 2024 in year five with the program, this is a guy who was a former top 24-7 prospect. He was dynamic at the high school level. He had a lot of teams chasing him. He's always talked about it internally, his mental stuff, what he's trying to do for himself and how he feels he turned a corner and – There's been so many moments where it looked like that was possible and maybe it happened, but he is about as fascinating of a figure on this 2024 roster because if it comes together, as we've discussed in the past, and now you've got Julian Fleming in the mix, and if you have a healthy Harrison Wallace, and if you get other guys to step up, and I know I'm stacking up the ifs here, but there is a lot at at his reach here in 2024 that he can go out and accomplish and that Penn State can benefit from. And at the same time, based on the way last season ended – um, you know, you, you just wonder, is that really in the cards? And it, it sets up for this really kind of year where it feels like it's going to go one way or the other. Either it's going to go really well for Country Lambert Smith or it's going to end not so well in a Nittany Lions uniform. And again, that's why I say it's fascinating.
2: Yeah. I mean, I still think that he has a really really high ceiling uh, as a as a playmaker you know we saw that down the stretch in in 2022 and early on in 2023 but I think that it just kind of comes back to consistency uh, that's really you know, what we've heard for you know almost a full calendar year at this point I feel like when it comes to these wide receivers and their play you know that's what James Franklin is looking for that's what Marcus Haggins is looking for that's what Drew Aller needs out there. You, know, you need that consistency and stuff. So you know, I think Keandre Lambert-Smith, you know, if you tell me the season goes any sort of way for him, I'm probably not surprised, <laughs> uh, given that you know we don't really know what we're going to get, but you know what you can get out of him um, You know, in both directions. But in terms of the positive way, I mean, you look at what he can do and you think about some of the things we've seen from Andy Kotelnicki's offense. Looking at Kansas. Uh, he's a guy that you can use in unique ways. So we'll, we'll see what that actually looks like and if you can bring that to fruition
0: this year. He's a fifth year senior. Julian Fleming's a fifth year senior. And then you've got all of a sudden the redshirt junior Harrison Wallace, who it's so tempting to say, oh, he's this young emerging presence on the roster because that's what he was. And I'm not going to say he's no longer emerging, but he's no longer young by college football standards. And it, you know the clock's ticking on him a bit in 2024 is going to be very important. And, and if you just based it off of the notes that we have filed at Lions 24-7 based on feedback from staff members and his teammates, and even in some cases from opposing players, you would think this guy is, is being projected as a first-round pick next year. And then you look at what the reality is. He's got 500 total yards on 38 catches and two touchdowns in his Penn State career. And I could see him surpassing those career yards, uh, you know, before November next year, if things go well for him and he blows up, because if they thought he was the number one receiver on this team last year coming out of preseason camp, I think it's all there, right, for him again, even with Julian Fleming coming on board because of what he is, as a freaky athlete for him to maybe develop that kind of a feel again by the end of August, but he's got to stay on the field. He's got to stay available and it, it can't just be one game. Like the West Virginia game was a beautiful look in what he can be. I had seven catches that evening, I believe, in week one last year. But you got to see it for a full season. And unfortunately for Harrison Wallace, unfortunately for this coaching staff, who I think they think the world of him, and I know everybody in that facility is just waiting. They, they view him as a ticking time bomb. But redshirt junior now. I mean, this is not the, the redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore territory that we were talking about with Harrison Wallace, where you say he's not no commodity, but just wait. It's he's an unknown commodity. You think you know what you get when he's available, but it's very sporadic. And and right now it's just, it's, it's, it's a hard read. And I think we're all hoping that Harrison Wallace is healthy. And to me, if he's healthy, it's all set up for him. Um, But at the same time, it's also difficult to say that this passing attack is going to have the ammunition and the ability just because what we saw you know, in 2023 to have three Highly productive receivers. I think right now you're looking for, you know, maybe one guy to, to, to really have a huge load or a huge number, two or three guys I think it's maybe tricky, especially when you factor in the tight end room. But Harrison Wallace, what you want him to be is a threat. I think regardless of whether the stats pile up and he has a thousand yard season, you just want him on a snap by snap basis to be someone the defense has to deal with. And then that's you know something else they have to worry about when we already like what you have in the backfield. You already like what you have at tight end. You know maybe you have Julian Fleming, Keandre Lambert Smith doing some really good stuff as well. But someone's got to be viewed as a threat at wide receiver to open things up for everybody else. And as we saw things kind of go awry last year, that was a clear problem. There was not a lot of respect in the opposing defensive coordinator's office during the week of uh, for reparation for the receiver position. And you saw that show up and come to fruition. With some offensive inefficiency and so to me harrison wallace has the largest ceiling to be viewed as a major problem because of what he can do going up on the ladder and getting 50 50 balls and bringing that speed downfield but daniel i'll say it again these are just stories i've heard about for the most part these are not things i've seen with my own eyes when it comes to harrison wallace
2: if harrison wallace can marry what we saw in that west virginia game where he was the possession move the chains kind of safety valve uh, security blanket wide receiver with those athletic traits that we've heard so much about and seen a little bit he's we've seen him flash those in the blue white game I think in the Michigan game two years ago he had a big catch if he can marry those two things I think he can be really really good Um, I think a lot of that goes back to being healthy and being um, you know in an offense now that can potentially utilize him, scheme some things for him now. Um, But, you know, I kind of go back to that West Virginia game a lot um, in in terms of thinking about the type of receiver he can be, what he can bring to an offense. I I think that that can be really, really good for Drew Aller um, and company. Um, There's highlight reel plays. I think what was the the verbiage was he was cooking guys uh, in preseason camp last year. I think if we can see that in in games on Saturdays, I think that could be you know, really fun and and bring something to this offense that it was missing. But just kind of a, it's it's another big if uh, that we've stacked up in this room uh, during this during this
0: conversation. Well, the receiver will be uh, under our under scrutiny and, and not just ours. And everyone's <laughs> going to be focused in on this spot in the coming weeks and months and, and when it comes to Penn State football. And uh, there's really not much they can do except put in that quiet work right now. And and you know, obviously blue-white game. You want to make the fans feel great about things, go out and catch some big blasts and do what Omari Evans did last April. Uh, but it's really a group that is not gonna be able to reveal itself as turning a corner until next fall arrives. And, and that's just the, the fact of the matter. And, and we know Drew Aller, uh Bo Prabula in that quarterback room. Uh, we know some comments they had over to Grace Brennan of Lines 24-7 on Sunday. They're already putting in work uh, with some of these receivers and trying to get on the same page and build something before they officially put the pads back on in March. So. There's a, a pretty big rundown of what we're looking at on, on offense They're from a depth chart perspective, of winter going into spring. If we miss something, let us know. I'm sure you will. Uh, we'll be back with some commentary on defense uh, when we get Daniel back on this podcast. Uh, we'll also be back later this week with commentary uh, from Tyler cabaruso as that list expands and we look ahead to the final junior day in this three consecutive weeks of recruiting events coming to Happy Valley. But in the meantime, Daniel, really appreciate your coverage. I know you've got more coming our way, not just from football but basketball season uh, as they look to rebound from a tough loss over at lines 24 so i encourage everybody to check out daniel's coverage uh as well yeah all right on behalf of tyler and daniel I want to thank our lines 24 7 community uh, for joining us here on the lines 24 7 podcast we'll be back with a second episode later this week whether you find us on your podcast hub or on youtube we certainly do appreciate it uh, i certainly do appreciate it as well uh tyler Donahue, Tyler Calvaruso, Daniel Gallon, Mark Brennan, Grace Brennan, our entire crew. On behalf of them, this has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.